Thank you. Thank you. We could pull some more chairs out if we need to. Um, there's some chairs here, though. There's two chairs there. Um, Jeremiah chapter 13. So if you'd turn there. Thank you, Mario. Now, guys, as you're reading through, hopefully you read verses 13 and 14. As you're reading through, you might think to yourself, boy, there's, it's just repetition. It's over and over and over again. We get it. God was angry at Judah because Judah was uh, playing the harlot, spiritually speaking, and going after these other gods that are not gods at all. They're really demons. We get it. But I'll tell you, every chapter the Lord reveals something more. There's something to be noticed. There's something to be gleaned. There's something that should be applied to our own lives. Now, you know, as you read chapter 13 and chapter 14, I wonder what jumped out to you. Was there a theme that jumped out to you? For me, as I read it, and I think it's an obvious thing, pride. I don't know the Lord dealing with necessarily the pride of Judah up to this point, but in chapter 13, he definitely deals with their pride. And I, I couldn't help but thinking, you know, pride comes before destruction, the haughty spirit before, what? A fall. And so, you know, you look at this and you say, boy, the Lord was trying to get their attention. When I was in... Uh, so the summer before my seventh grade year, I had a, a teacher for both seventh and eighth grade. His name was Mr. Love. And um, Mr. Love, uh, from my perspective, was an old man. Uh, but he was an athlete. He was a javelin thrower. He was a, just, a, I mean, really fit. Uh, but he, he seemed like an old man because he had gray hair, you know. And from my perspective, I thought, this guy's really old. And, um, but uh, I had him the summer before my seventh grade, and then I had him seventh grade and eighth grade. Uh, and um, during summer school, I had his class, so whatever that class was, and then I had tennis. So I had to go to summer school. You know, you kind of wonder, you got to go to summer school and you take tennis, you know. But I took tennis, and I was sitting there next to my friend with my tennis racket in my hand. And I was poking my friend. And Mr. Love, you know, he's, uh, he's standing there, I mean, fairly close by, but he's not looking at me. He's, he's kind of looking over here, and, and he, he's teaching and he'll stop and say would you knock it off and I'm thinking yeah I don't know <laughs> and he kept it up until finally he walked over and grabbed the tennis rocket out of my hand and he looked at me and he says what's wrong with you and so I said to my friend afterwards I said man he was not looking at me and and my friend Russie said Danny <sighs> Mr. Love has a glass eye. So you got to watch. Don't watch that eye because that eye is going everywhere. You know, you got to watch this eye, you know. But I was thinking of how, you know, Mr. Love, he was graciously trying to get my attention. He didn't want to embarrass me in front of the class, but I just was, you know, kept poking my friend. And, and he probably thought, boy, this guy, he's going to give me trouble this summer, you know, in seventh grade and eighth grade, you know. He's, he's just kind of, you know, this rebel. And, and I had no idea that he was trying to get my attention. And that's what I think of when I look at these two chapters and really the whole book of Jeremiah. God was trying to get their attention. He didn't want to humiliate them. He didn't want to make a spectacle out of them. But he wanted to get their attention. But they weren't listening. Chapter 13, thus the Lord said to me, to Jeremiah, go and get yourself a linen sash and put it around your waist, but, but do not put it in water. So it would seem, uh, what does that mean, Lord? Do not wash it? If it gets dirty or what's linen, would the linen be damaged if it was, if it was um, in water? It's interesting that some suggest that the linen sath was like an undergarment. Now, if it was, I don't know if he was wearing the undergarment under his cloak. Uh, it wouldn't be seen by anybody, so I don't know how that would 
be significant. Um, because obviously what Jeremiah was about to do was a sign to the children of Judah. But the sash, it was linen. Linen is what the priest wore. And so you kind of picture this. He had the sash, it's tied around his waist. He does this out of obedience. Verse 2, so I got the sash according to the word of the Lord and put it around my waist. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time saying, take the sash that you acquired, which is around your waist, I mean, emphasizing this, and arise and go to the Euphrates and hide it there in a hole in the rock. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. Now, the Euphrates. Euphrates. Now, it doesn't say that he traveled to Babylon. It says he traveled to the Euphrates. But you know, maybe you don't know, the Euphrates split ancient Babylon right down the middle. Ancient Babylon was built on both sides of uh, the Euphrates River. And so from Israel to travel to the Euphrates would, would have taken Jeremiah three to four months. It was 700 miles. So this wasn't like an afternoon thing, you know, that he was doing. This is something that was going to take him time. He travels, and out of obedience, he does exactly what the Lord tells him to do. And so uh, he, he hides it. And verse 6 says, And it came to pass, after many days, that the Lord said to me, Arise and go to the Euphrates, and take from there the sash, which I commanded you to hide there. Then I went to the Euphrates and dug... And I took the sash from the place where I hid, where I had hidden it, and there was a sash ruined. It was profitable for nothing. Now, guys, Jeremiah is now doing a, he's doing something. I mean, physically he's doing something, and obviously there's a lesson, there's an object lesson in this. And we see this um, with some of the prophets. We know that Ezekiel experienced the same type of thing. Ezekiel was supposed to do certain things, and these were signs to, you know, Israel, to Judah. Of course, Ezekiel was in Babylon, so he was there in captivity with them. But, but, but this was a sign. This isn't just some weird thing to do. And it says, verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, In this manner I will ruin, note this, I will ruin the pride of Judah. He didn't say, I'm going to ruin Judah. He says, I'm going to ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. And then the Lord says, this evil people who refuse to hear my words, who follow the dictates of their hearts and walk after other gods and serve them and, and worship them shall be just like this sash which is profitable for nothing. For as a sash clings to the waist of a man, so I have caused the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to cling to me, says the Lord, that they may become my people. Look at this. Look at what God had intended for them. For renown, for praise, and for glory. But they would not hear. You know, as you go through Jeremiah, and of course we have Jeremiah speaking at times, and then we have uh, different places. We have the people responding, you know, and then we have, of course, the Lord speaking. And when the Lord speaks, you get, I mean, it's clear that he's angry. He's really angry with the disobedience of his people. But you can't help but but see that he was also brokenhearted. Now, it's weird to give a, a human emotion to God because God is not a man. But, but the Lord does that many times. He kind of describes things uh, that we would experience as men and women so that we might kind of understand where he's coming from, where his heart is concerning his people or concerning an issue. So this first sign, symbol, was... Jeremiah taking this, this sash or this undergarment, he wears it. He wears it for a period of time. We don't know long, how long he wore it until he was told to go to the Euphrates and to hide it in, in the ground or in the rocks. And he did that, left it there. And all of this was symbolic because, of course, 
Judah was going to go into captivity. And they were going to go to the Euphrates. And they were going to go to Babylon. And they were going to go into this place that's not their own. And the process of being in Babylon, in this Babylonian exile, for all of these years was to break the pride of the people. To break the pride of the people. You know, guys, we can learn things either the easy way or the hard way. How do you usually learn things? <laughs> you know, you know, sometimes it's, a, you know, but I'll tell you, when you learn it the hard way, I think it kind of cures us. I think, I mean, if we're, if we're wise, you know, we, we do kind of wise up and we realize, man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to repeat this thing. I don't want this thing to, to, to happen again in my life. Well, verse 12, we have another symbol. Therefore you shall speak to them this word, thus says the Lord God of Israel. Every bottle shall be filled with wine. And they will say to you, do we not know certainly, or do we not certainly know that every bottle will be filled with wine? See guys, the response was, and again we see their pride here. Every bottle will be filled with wine. Of course it will. We're a blessed people. The harvest will be plentiful. We'll have plenty of wine. And it's like the Lord trying to get their attention, saying, that's not what I'm speaking of. Because look what it says. Then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will fill the inhabitants of the land, even the king who sits on David's throne, the priest, the prophets, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Jerusalem with drunkenness or confusion. And I will dash them one against another, even the fathers and the sons together, says the Lord. I will not pity, nor spare, nor have mercy, but will destroy them. It's heavy. These things are so heavy, you know, when you consider what, what's being spoken to them. Now, the, the picture of drunkenness. This is a a illustration used throughout the Old Testament. Uh, drunkenness is not seen as a good thing, never in the Bible. It's always seen as a bad thing. And um, because foolish things are done when you're intoxicated, when you're under the influence. And you kind of have this picture here of the Lord saying, I'm, I'm going to confuse you guys in such a way that you're, you're going to be fighting one another. You're going to be bickering among yourselves. You know, I um, grew up in a home where alcohol was flowing all the time. And uh, I, so I, obviously, I have a, it comes out. I mean, people have told me, you know, you need to get over this. I'll never get over it. I have this absolute hatred for alcohol. I have an absolute hatred for anything that changes the personality of a person. I absolutely hate it. Um, I grew up, you know, my mom and my dad were certain people, wonderful people, caring people, loving people, um, you know. And then, <laughs> under the influence, they changed. They were not the same person. And, um, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know, I've never lived with a schizophrenic, you know. I, that would be a hard thing, wouldn't it? You wouldn't know what you're getting. Uh, from any, you know, any given day or moment or whatever, you know. But some that have grown up with, you know, parents that use drugs or alcohol or in a, maybe you live, you know, you're married to someone like that. It's kind of a schizophrenic thing. You don't know what you're going to get. So am I going to get happy dad or am I going to get angry dad, you know. And, uh, but, but you think of the confusion, you know, I used to, and kids do this, kids that grow up in homes where there's alcoholism, you kind of watch the pattern, you kind of know how things are going. There's kind of the sweet time, and I'm being sarcastic here, where everything's pleasant, everything's nice, hugs and kisses. This is the time you want to ask questions, you know, that uh, usually you get a no answer, because you know you're probably going to get a yes answer if you ask it during the sweet time. And then there's kind of the, the, the peak, and then there's the downfall, and it goes down. And then you have so often 
you know, the same person that was so pleasant an hour ago or two hours ago are just the most bitter, angry, sour, the things that are coming out of their mouth. You just think, man, this is so demonic. And so it's not a good thing. The Lord is saying, I'm going to cause confusion among you. It's going to, you're going to be like you're drunk and, and going at each other's throat because you would not listen to me. So again, the Lord, he's so gracious. He's saying, listen, I want to get your attention. I'm trying to get your attention here. Listen to me. Listen to me. I have your best interest at heart. You know, any loving parent has their children's best interest at heart, don't they? I mean, I, you know, I was, I, with my grandkids, you know, some of them as they grow older, you know, and we talk about different things. And I'll, I'm always telling stories. They probably get tired of my stories, you know. But I, I said, I remember one time, I said, we used to vacation a lot. And our vacations would be traveling across the United States. And we've been to a lot of the, you know, states of this country. And, and I have a lot of memories traveling across. And I said, I remember one year we were traveling across the country. I think we were in Utah. And um, uh, this was back in the 70s. Um, it seems so funny to think, you know, with all the car seats and all the safety procedures that we have now, which are really good. I'm not mocking it. But, but we had, <laughs> we had a, a van, um, a 70s van. Some of the old tires will remember 70s vans. 70s vans. They were, we had tuck and diamond uh, on, on the walls of the van. Um, you you had a, always had a nice stereo system. My dad uh, was friends with Harry Jackman. Harry Jackman was the fellow who first came out with the white kind of spoked uh, off-road wheels. And so he put these big wheel. our van, it was my mother's car, you know, but it was like, it looked like a four-wheel drive, you know, it rode so high and, and it had surf racks on it because we all, we were surfers and everything. But there was, the only seats in the van were the two seats in the front. So the rest of us, we just kind of, we sat on beanbag chairs and you just kind of bounce around <laughs> in the back of that van, you know. And, uh, and so we were traveling across and, and I remember going up and I'm, I'm, I'm talking to my mom. I have my arm on her chair like this, and I'm talking to her really close. Mom, so where are we going now? And she kind of turns and goes, oh, Danny. So why? She goes, your breath, buddy. You've got bad breath. And I said, oh. She goes, I'll get you some mouthwash. you got to take care of that, bud. And so I said, okay, mom. So I, my arm's up like this, and I'm talking to her, and then she gets another whiff. And she goes, oh, Danny, you've got B.O., I, I tell the kids this because I said, you know, there comes that time where it comes out of nowhere. All of a sudden, you go from a child to a teenager, and you start stinking, you know. But the fact of the matter is my mother wasn't being mean to me. She loved me. I'm so glad that she would say, you know, take care of that breath and take care of the body odor, you know, because you don't want to be... <laughs> offensive to people. But that's what a loving parent would do. My wife, sometimes she'll say to me, you're going to wear that? I, I, always, I, always, I always know what that means, you know. She loves me. She's not being mean to me. Sometimes it doesn't feel like she loves me. Anyway. You know, guys, the fact of the matter is, is that humanity... We look at things differently than God looks at things. And we so often say, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? It's not like we've completely rejected you, Yahweh. We still acknowledge you. I mean, we, we have the temple, and, and we go there for all of the feast. I mean, we, we, we circumcise our children, our sons, like we're supposed to circumcise our sons on the eighth day, and, and we keep the Sabbath. And what's the big deal? What does it matter if, if, if we added to our worship of you, Yahweh, worship of Baal? 
or Chamash or Molech. I mean, if, if, if these lesser gods, if, if these gods will help us with our harvest, what's the big deal? And it's like the Lord was constantly trying to get their attention and saying, it's a big deal. This is really a big deal. And you need to understand this. So here's the thing. So we, we're, we're, we've got, we're out here now. We're Christians. And, and we have a tendency to say, yep, I'm glad that we're not those you know, rebellious Jews. And boy, they, they never got it right. you know. And we kind of distance ourselves from them. But how, how about us as Christians? I mean, we're, we're constantly embracing things. Just because we don't go to a, a temple, you know, we don't go and we don't bow down, you know, uh, to a, an altar. You know, we used to take our beads and we would roll them together as the little altar would be opened. And you would, you know, there was a scroll. We couldn't even read it, couldn't read the language on it, you know. But it was this point of worship. And, uh, you know... And, and it's like, you know, I'm just dabbling. I don't do that anymore. I don't know too many Christians that would go to a Buddhist temple or a Krishna temple or anything like that. But I'll tell you, we sure open ourselves up to other things. Do you know, guys, that as Christians, many times we open ourselves up to the paranormal. Oh, this is fascinating to me. Do you know that statistically they're saying that there is an increase of demonic activity? Christians, not nominal, you know, just kind of on the, but people are really on fire for the Lord or seemingly to be on fire for the Lord. They are being oppressed. They are being uh, not possessed because that can't happen to a Christian, but they are being oppressed. And that there are many who are, you know, struggling with this um, spiritual warfare. Now, of course, we shouldn't be surprised by that because Paul told us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against these principalities that are unseen. So it's an unseen world, but it's a real world, and they don't have our best interest at heart at all. And yet many times we open ourselves up to things like that. And again, you know, I, I, I think of, as Christians, you know, we, I, I've, I've heard for, you know, 45 years, you know, Christians say, I've got liberty, I've got liberty, I've got liberty. You do have liberty. But if your liberty puts you in bondage, you know what I'm saying? Then you're not free. You're not free at all. Jesus came to set the captives free. And we're free only in him. It doesn't mean we're free to do whatever we want. I want to dabble in this. I want to dabble in that, you know. But we need to be so careful of these things, you know. Um, uh, you know, Eastern-type meditation and, and yoga and things like this that have really been encouraged and endorsed uh, by many Christian leaders. And it's infiltrated the church. And it's given the enemy a foothold. And I know that people say, oh, what's the big deal? Come on, Dan. Boy, you're so, you're so nitpicky about things like that. Well, I would just say, if, if you've opened the door to those things, how's your life going? How do you sleep at night? What are your dreams like? Is there some trouble? Maybe the Lord might be trying to get your attention and say, listen, there's some things. This is a big deal to me. I told you I didn't want you dabbling in these types of things. Maybe I didn't specifically say this, this, and this, because some of these things are new from, you know, the Bible's perspective. But these things root right back to the same demonic, you know, <laughs> foundations that these gods. I said lesser gods. I, I, that was really a misspeak. They're not lesser gods. They're, they're demons. So... Verse 15, hear and give ear. Do not be proud. There it is again. For the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before he causes darkness and before your feet stumble on the dark mountains. And while you are looking for light, he turns it into the shadow of death 
and makes it dense darkness. So darkness, darkness, darkness. Guys, the darkness here, obviously, is not speaking of physical darkness. It's speaking of pending doom. That's what it's speaking of. He's trying to get their attention. Now, look at verse 17. I think verse 17 is really interesting. It says, But if you will not hear, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has, has been taken captive. Who's speaking there? Now, many commentators, commentators would say it's Jeremiah. Obviously, it's Jeremiah that's speaking here. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he's saying that, boy, if you don't turn, if you don't stop, if you don't repent, if you don't, if you don't break this pattern of rebellion and disobedience, I'm going to cry. It's interesting, and this is one of the reasons why I prefer the New King James. The New King James over the King James Bible the New King James over the NIV, the New King James over the New American Standard. One of the reasons I prefer the New King James Bible is because the New King James Bible capitalizes the pronouns for God. Have you ever noticed that? I'm a real stickler about that. You could ask uh, the guys that do the overheads. I mean, if I, I, we're worshiping on Sunday morning and I look up there and if there is a, a, a pronoun for the Lord and maybe it slips by and it's a lowercase h or, or whatever it might be, you know, that's always, uh, and, and there's been times where, when I might even, you know, lean over to Nate across the aisle and say, hey, bud, they got to fix that. Okay, yeah, I'll get them. I saw that. I'll go fix that. He said, what's the big deal? It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Now, this is why I go on this rant here. It's interesting that my, seen twice in verse 17, is capitalized. Isn't that interesting? So was it Jeremiah saying this? Or was it, again, was it the Lord saying, describing a human emotion and attributing it to himself? But if you will not hear it, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. Now, I don't have the answer to that. I just thought it was interesting. You're not going to see the capitalization in the original language. You're, you know, you're not going to find it there. Many times in the text, it's apparent who's speaking. But here is an example where we don't really know. And the only reason I bring it up is because the New King James capitalized the word my twice. And there's no period before it. We know that, you know, it's a weird thing to think of God crying. That, that's kind of a hard one to wrap your mind around. Um, we do know that he is grieved. Remember the exhortation that we're not to grieve the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit? So grieving is, is making sad. Anyway, verse 18, So the king, or say to the king and to the queen mother, Humble yourselves, sit down, <laughs> for your rule shall collapse the crown of your glory. Now the king here, we don't know for sure, but it's believed to be Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim only reigned for three months, and then the Babylonians came in his hand. <laughs> he, he was taken to exile. And, and, and so if it was that king, because we don't know for sure, there were a few kings there during that time, during that season, that all of these things were going on. But you just think of how Jeremiah was telling the king and the 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 queen mother you know his mother to to humble out sit down be humble before the lord and then it talks about what's happening what's going to happen you look at verse 20 lift up your eyes and see those who are coming from the north obviously the babylonians 
Where's your flock? It kind of goes on. Look at verse 22. And if you say in your heart, why have these things come upon me? Again, I'm convinced that the Lord is constantly trying to get our attention. And sometimes we can fall into this. You know, we, as young Christians, when I was new in my faith, um, I've told the story many times before because it was so ridiculous, but it was just such a huge trial for me at the time. But um, we're living in Grass Valley, and I got poison oak real bad. And, and um, I remember it was so bad. I, I would get poison oak, you know, from the time I was a little kid. I always got poison oak. Problem was, I didn't know what poison oak looked like, the plant. So I'm always like fiddling with stuff, and I was like, Danny, that's poison oak. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so anyway, I've got poison oak. I'm a grown man, and Tracy goes off to church, and I'm laying there on the couch, and I'm and I'm crying out to the Lord, Lord, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? And it was really, I mean, I was just talking like a little baby. It's not like this was the first time I had, you know, but it wasn't like I was Job being afflicted with boils, you know. I mean, this is something that, but somehow in my mind, I, I thought, you know, everything's going to be different now because, you know, I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I'll never get poison. Okay, I don't know what I was thinking. But, you know, I think that sometimes... As young Christians, and this is why it's so important that we mature and that we grow in our faith, we kind of can take on that, that um, victim mentality. Why are you doing this to me, God? What have I done to deserve this? Now, guys, I want you to remember who we're dealing with here with Judah because, again, they were oblivious to the fact that they had brought all of this upon themselves. Because they didn't think it was a big deal to worship Baal or these other, you know, deities, man-made deities. Or to take a tree and to cut it down and to use some of it to uh, start a fire and bake their bread. And another part to fashion into some idol and then bow down and say, thank you (laughs) for my life, you know. I mean, it was absurd. But they were oblivious to the fact that they had brought this upon them. So hopefully as we grow and we mature in the Lord... You know, when something seems to go awry, we, usually our first question is we kind of do a, you know, self-check and, you know, and then say, Lord, you got my attention. What is it, Lord? You know, you, you learn after a while. We go through trials and difficulties you know, as Christians. We're guaranteed that, in fact. James reminds us of that. Peter reminds us of that. Jesus reminds us of that, you know. And uh, it's just kind of part of life. It's part of all life. But as a Christian, there's an extra dynamic attached to it. But once you go through trials and troubles and difficulties, you usually realize, okay, there's a purpose for this. He wants to mature my faith. He wants to develop patience within me. So, Lord, I don't want to fight you. I want to yield. <laughs> I, I, want this, I want this to end as quickly as it can. So, Lord, you've got my undivided attention. And, you know, guys, sometimes the Lord wants to get our attention so he could speak to us specifically, you know, I mean, something that's personal to us. Have you guys realized as, as Christians that the Lord might say no to you in an area where he hasn't said no to somebody else. We kind of think, you know, it's across the board, you know. If I can't watch our movies, no one should be able to watch our movies. Were you convicted watching our movies? Yeah. Then stop watching our movies. And don't worry about what they're watching. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like the Lord is speaking to you. And rather than seeing that as, you know, all oh, the Lord's disciplining me, I'm under the heavy hand of the Lord, you know, the Lord, he's so harsh with me. Rather to say, the Lord loves me so much that he would convict my heart about something like this. He would speak to me about something like this. Guys, you know, 
that's not even a good illustration. I mean, we're surrounded by stuff like that all the time. But I was talking to a fellow one time, and uh, he had a background. He had, you know, struggles with stuff. And uh, he would go to certain places. He would, sh he would go to certain stores where he would buy the stuff that he struggled with. And uh, And then, you know, he got victory over it. And I would drive by and maybe see him coming out of that store. And I said, you know, I, it's just one, I saw you over at that store. Does that bring up memories to you? I mean, that's kind of where you, da, 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 da. yeah. I said, do you think maybe the Lord would not have you go to that store any longer? Again, I know for some of you, and you know what, that's on you. That is on you if you're so, that's so legalistic. That's not legalistic. That's listening to the Lord for your own personal conviction about different things. You know? I mean, do you believe, guys, do you believe that the Lord could say to you, I don't want you going to that restaurant? Some of you say, oh, that's ridiculous. What's the big deal? And that's the thing. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? What's the big deal? And you're all the way down the line. And, and nothing's a big deal for you any longer. Now, again, I'm not saying that we impose our convictions on other people. That's wrong to do. But I'm saying that we should be sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm not, I'm not going to go there. I don't feel comfortable going there. Why? Well, because... Something happened there, or this happened there, or, or um, wh whatever it is, you know, whatever it is. Boy, if only men and women had the conviction, you know, I'm not going to go into that restaurant. Why not? Because I went in there without my wife, and the waitress was flirting with me, and I'm not going to go back in there and play around. Oh, that's, oh, wow, you're so weak. No, I'm wise. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? You know, there's so many people, they're, they're constantly in trouble. And you just think to yourself, you know, are they, do they have convictions about anything? Is anything a big deal for them? It should be. It should be a big deal. Anyway, I wish I could be more graphic, but I don't want to be more graphic because um, hopefully the Lord is just kind of speaking to you on, on some of these things. Well, look what he says. For the greatness of your iniquity so the lord's answering for the greatness of your iniquity your skirts have been uncovered your heels made bare can an ethiopian change his skin or a leopard his its spots and the answer is no then may you also do do uh, good who are accustomed to doing evil it's almost as if the lord is saying listen an ethiopian can't change his skin color a leopard can't change its spots. And you guys are so far gone, you can't be good. <laughs> you almost would hope that they would take up the challenge and say, we can. <laughs> we can repent. We can change. We can stop going after these things. Look what it says. Verse 24, therefore I will scatter them like stubble. Dropping down to verse 25, this is your lot, the portion of your measure from me, says the Lord, because you have forgotten me and trusted in falsehood. Drop down to chapter 14. It's so hard to cover all this, but it says in verse 3, um, oh, no, we got to go to verse 1. Now the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the droughts. So again, what's the Lord doing? Why is he doing that? Why has he got to be so mean? Trying to get your attention. Trying to get your attention. You guys thirsty? Yeah, we're thirsty. Do I have your attention? Judah mourns and her gates languish. They mourn for the land 
and cry for Jerusalem, or the cry of Jerusalem has gone up. The nobles have sent their lads for water. Go, go find water. And uh, they, went, they went to the cisterns and found no water and returned with their vessels empty. Do you guys remember how Jeremiah started in chapter 2? Guys, what was a spiritual reality for them at the beginning of Jeremiah? Chapter 2 and verse 13, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. What was a reality for them spiritually had become a reality for them physically. Again, why is this happening, Lord? Because I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to get your attention. Did I take care of you? Did I give you rain at the right time so that your, your harvest would be plentiful? Did I not bless you? Did I not give you this land flowing with milk and honey? Did I not encourage you to drive out the inhabitants of the land because I knew that if you did not drive them out, you would become like them? Because human nature always goes to the lower standard, to the lower morality. It never rises to the higher. Did I not choose you out of all the nations of the world? Did I not make a covenant with you and promises to you? Did I not promise to take care of you? See, again, do I have your attention? The rest of verse 3 says, They were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads. You, you, could, you know, the shame it literally means to pale or to be disappointed. The covering of the heads. I, I couldn't help but think, you know, isn't that a natural... Um, Thing. I mean, we don't even think about it, but when you're embarrassed, you almost like a child. Um, you know, a child, they're embarrassed, and they might shut their eyes. And they're thinking, I can't see you, you can't see me. Now, of course, that's not true. But, you know, when you're embarrassed, sometimes you just, oh, gosh, you just want to hide your face. I'm ashamed. I can't believe I brought this upon myself. Because the ground is parched, for there is no rain in the land. The plowmen uh, were ashamed and covered their heads. And then it goes on, just kind of describing. Look at verse 7. O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do it for your name's sake. For our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. Oh, the hope of Israel, his Savior, in time of trouble. Why should you be like a stranger? Look at this. Why should you be like a stranger to the land? Not to us. See, now they're saying, Lord, this is your land. <laughs> I mean, you know, the land is suffering from drought. At least consider the land, Lord. You know, guys... It's so important to note this because, again, at face value, you might say, well, okay, they've called uncle. They've cried out uncle. They, you know, they, their arm has been behind their back long enough. God has their attention. They're finally doing it. They're finally repenting. There is no repentance here. Guys, listen. Acknowledgement of sin is not the same uh, as repentance. Remember Judas you know, he betrays Jesus, and when they take Jesus and he sees what they're doing to Jesus and what they're going to do to Jesus, he is remorseful. That's what it says. He's remorseful. He goes and he tries to make it right. Here, take your money back. This is blood money. I don't want your money, you know. They say, we don't want the money because it is blood money. We don't want it. We can't put it back in the treasury. And and he goes out and he hangs himself. The book of Acts tells us that he fell headlong 
and his and his intestines gushed out. And you say, well, which was it? Well, both. Obviously, he hung himself, and as he was hanging there, the rope broke, and he fell a distance to where his intestines gushed out. But you look at that, and you say, repentance? He acknowledged that he had made a mistake. No, he didn't acknowledge, really. He was just remorseful that he had done this thing. You look at Peter, and, you know, I mean, they're, they're kind of running head in head. I mean, it's the same time frame, you know. And Peter, you know, I'll never deny you. I'll die with you if I have to die with you. And, and then, you know, no, no, Peter, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. He denies him three times. He goes out and he weeps bitterly. And there's a difference between, he, you know, was he remorseful? Surely he was remorseful. But he was also repentant. He didn't continue in this pattern. He was surely ashamed, just like the children of Judah were ashamed. He wanted to cover his face, wanted to hide out. We see Peter, you know, on the shore of uh, the Galilee, you know, doing everything he could to distract himself from maybe looking at Jesus eye to eye or having a conversation with Jesus one-on-one. -on -one. He was embarrassed. He was ashamed. But he was also restored. And the children of Israel, here's the thing, guys, there's always a remnant. There's always a remnant. And the remnant, you know, not every Jew was taken to Babylon in captivity. Do you know that? That there were Jews that were left, and many of them were the poor people, and they were left in the land. They were left in Israel. Now, it would have been hard for them to be left there, you know, but, but, but I'll tell you, there's always a remnant. It's not like every last man, woman, and child were worshiping these, you know, gods of the ites, you know. There were those that were faithful to the Lord. And for them, you know, the story would be, you look at Daniel. Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Were they worshiping these gods? No. Did they go into captivity? Yeah, they went into captivity. Did God use them? Yes, God used them. Because, you know, a believer who's truly trusted in the Lord, they will flourish wherever they're at, you know, even in a difficult situation. And for them, it really wasn't that bad compared to a lot of people. In fact, for many, and probably those that remained in Jerusalem, probably suffered greatly. We kind of see that when you read the book of Lamentations. Things got really, really bad for them. Anyway. Look at verse 10, and I'll try to wrap this up. Thus they have loved to wonder, and they have not restrained their feet. See, um, modern-day Christians... We read the book of Romans. We read Romans chapter 8. We agree with Paul. It is the sin in us, this indwelling, sinful, fallen nature within us. Well, that's true before Christ. But then after Christ, we've been given a new nature. So that doesn't apply any longer. So then we have to take into consideration in the same chapter where the Apostle Paul is exhorting Christians. Guys, whenever you're reading through the epistles, you know, and you're reading these exhortations, and have you noticed how many exhortations there are? Words of encouragement or strong, you know, you need to do this, let this happen, don't do that, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Did you ever take notice of those things? And, and you should notice that the Lord is saying, he said, now you're responsible for this. We're not just floating through life. Before I was a Christian, I sinned because that's all I could do. You can't blame me. You know what? I, I knew some really bad guys before I was a Christian. And then I had other friends. I knew other people that weren't Christians and they weren't as bad as these other guys. So, I mean, there's levels of <laughs> wickedness and, and what people will do. And it's not like we're just helpless victims, you know, you know what I mean? I mean, we make a lot of decisions. We kind of jump in with both feet and, and do a lot of things. 
But there's kind of this thinking sometimes with Christians that, okay, now I'm in Christ, and so now, oh, nothing I do will stick to I'm like cellophane, you know, or, or what's that nonstick stuff, you know. Um, I, it, you know, whatever comes my way, you know, it doesn't apply anymore. I can sin, and it doesn't matter anymore. What's the big deal? It's covered by the blood. Have you met Christians like that? I've known Christians like that. They've come to this church. And I just think, what are they reading? What are they, what are they looking at? Because just as the Lord held the children of Israel, Judah and Israel, responsible for their actions, the Lord will hold the church responsible for their actions. And we see it, don't we? I mean, we, we watch it. You know, you, you stay in one place for a long enough time and you see people come and go as far as like walking with the Lord. And you have people that once were serving the Lord and, and doing ministry and things like this, and now they're not, no longer even walking with the Lord. And the sad thing is, is there's so many people that would just say, yeah, but they love Jesus, you know. Well, based on what? He who endures to the end shall be saved, you know. I mean, there's so many things that you read in the scriptures where there's this exhortation that we're in a race, the race isn't over, we're not, you know, <laughs> we're not just kind of sitting on the lawn, you know, watching the runners go by and everything's fine, no big deal, I'm in Christ Jesus. No, we should take our walk, our calling, our election, we should take all of these things seriously. You guys know what I'm talking about, don't you, with this? And so, guys, when we're reading and studying Jeremiah or Old Testament books, we need to be so careful that we're not distancing ourselves from them and saying, that's them, that's not us, we're different, we're a different story than them. We are a different story in the fact that we are saved by faith alone in the finished work of Christ. But there's still expectations that Father has for us. And they're not unrealistic expectations. He says, I've given you my word. Okay, Lord. He says, I've given you my spirit. You know, guys, in one sense, if anyone should have a little slack, you know, a little a break, it would be them, the children of Israel. They didn't have the spirit of God. There were individuals who had the Spirit of God. But for the church, every believer has the Spirit of God. We have the Spirit of the living God within us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is dwelling within us. We have the Word of God. We have, we have a calling. I mean, it's not, you know, the Great Commission. We have a responsibility. We have exhortations from the Lord. Your light, your salt. Let your good works be done before men so they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's your responsibility. And we need to take that seriously and say, what's the big deal? No, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And this is why, guys, you know, when you study Bible prophecy and you consider things like the crowns that will be given to the Christians... And again, there are so many Christians on earth today that say, what's the big deal? I don't care about that. As long as I go to heaven when I die, that's all I care about. But I'll tell you, crowns will be a big deal when we're falling before the Lord. That's when it will be a big deal. Remember the picture? They cast their, their crowns before the throne of God. So that's a big deal. You know, <laughs> I don't have anything. <laughs> you know, but we should take these things seriously as we, as we look at these exhortations and these rebukes and everything and to consider the fact because, you know, guys, the Lord looks at the heart of individuals and they could have turned they could have stopped. They could have repented. And the Lord said to me, verse 11, do not pray for this people. Does that, does that surprise you? Jeremiah, you're the prophet. Don't pray for them. I could picture Christians. You know, if I was to say, 
if we, if, you, if we were to say to each other, don't pray for that guy anymore, we'd rebuke each other. Well, why? You can't say that. Why would you say something like that? But the Lord says to Jeremiah, don't pray for this people, for they're good. Don't pray for them. When they fast, I will not hear their cry. And when they offer burnt offerings, see, they're still doing all the stuff. And the grain offerings, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword, by, fa by the famine, and by the pestilence. Then I said, so Jeremiah said, Oh, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, no sh nor uh, shall you see famine. But I will give you a, sh um, let's see. But I will give you assured peace in this place. Now, the false prophets, they're supposed to be speaking for the Lord. I'm almost done, but I got to get on this because we have false prophets today. So guys like, me, Nate, guys that like to teach Bible prophecy, we've been warning, time is running out, Jesus is coming back, let's get ready, guys, Maranatha, look what's happening, uh, you know, digital currency, I mean, guys, you're not hearing that from Bible prophecy teachers alone. Turn on, turn on your radio, turn on, everyone's talking about it right now. This is the thing that everyone's talking about right now. And most of us, we don't understand what it means. It doesn't sound good to us. You know, we think, well, what's going to happen to my money? You know, and, and that type of thing. But we're talking about these things, and we're pointing out, and we're saying, guys, this is that which was spoken of. This is what's leading up to Revelation chapter 13, and so on and so forth, you know. And people say, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. That's why I don't like going to Calvary Chapel Oak Harbor. It's doom and gloom, doom and gloom. I like going to, and I can name some churches, because they're into kingdom now, and we're going to overcome, and we're going we're gonna to make the world great, and we're going to usher in the coming of the Messiah, and he will set up, and there is no tribulation. Don't worry about it. There's nothing to fear, folks. Don't worry about it. Peace and safety, peace and safety. And Paul says, when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction will come upon them unawares. You see what I'm saying? Guys, you could, you could go home. You could open, you, you could turn your phone on right now, and you could just, you could punch in, and you could find uh, false prophets that are saying everything's going to be good. In fact, uh, hey, 2023 is going to be the best year we've seen yet, you know. And Joel Osteen could give you a big smile and a kiss on the cheek. And if that makes you feel good for an hour or so, wonderful. But, but here's the thing. When the trouble comes, where will you be? Will you be saying, Lord, Father, you told us about these things before they came. Thank you. You love us. You love your children so much so that these things would not take us by surprise. Or will you be the one saying, why are you doing this to me, God? And that will be the proof. How we react, well, I'm done. Not because I'm done, but because of time. I hope that you guys read it. I hope that you guys read the, so read the next two chapters and glean what you can. You know, guys, with the word of God, it doesn't matter where we're at. Um, the word of God is not, you cannot exhaust the word of God. Isn't that wonderful? I was thinking, as I've been preparing for the Gospel of John, and I've thought this over the years, I thought, boy, if we had, and I'll always think it, whatever book I'm teaching through, I'll say, if this was the only Gospel we had, if this was the only epistle we had, if this was only, and all we could do is just study this thing over and over and over again, I'll tell you what, we would never exhaust it. If I was teaching, you know, for, uh, you know, 35 years, um, the Gospel of John, I guarantee you, 
<laughs> that every time we went through it, you'd be saying, oh, I see something I didn't see before. Oh, the Lord spoke to me here, and I didn't see that before. Oh, the Lord really drew my attention over here. It's not like any other book. It's alive. And so, Lord, we thank you for speaking to us. And we know, Lord, you know, you speak. We don't always listen. In fact, you say to your church, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches. And uh, Lord, we pray that we would have ears open to you. We pray, Father, that our comfort would be in you. We pray that we wouldn't tune in to listen to our favorite false prophet because they're saying peace and safety, peace and safety. But rather, Lord, we would tune in to your word and say, Father, speak to us. Father, prepare us for whatever it is that's coming. I know this to be true, that I'm in your hand. And no one can snatch me out of your hand. We love you. We thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.